Welcome to the Viva Young Adults podcast. We're the Young Adults Ministry of Viva Church, and we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're already a part of YA or a guest with us today, we hope that what's shared encourages and blesses you. Here's today's message. The connection we crave today. So I'm going to start by talking about cravings, but don't worry, I'm going to keep it PG. So when I was pregnant with Claire, my first, um, it was like my body took a, had a mind of its own. I started to have cravings for things I never had cravings for. And the cravings I had for about a two-week period were for junk food. And Bless Phil was in his glory. <laughs> so for about three days, all I wanted were hot dogs. And so that's Costco hot dogs, and that's what I had. My poor little baby in my belly. <laughs> and uh, and then I, the next day, I would want Pizza Hut. So Phil, as a faithful husband, would drive across town, get the pizza, get some for himself, come back with love and stars in his eyes, and look at me while eating the pizza. <laughs> and then suddenly, I had morning sickness, and I stopped liking food. So that was the end of the fairy tale. <laughs> but cravings. Cravings are actually one of the ways that we are like God, because God is full of desire, and he actually wired us like that as well. We're going to talk about our cravings today, and specifically our deepest soul craving, which is for connection. Yeah, come on. So... What was the first thing that God said after he made the first human being? Does anyone know? It is not good for... Good job, good job for reading the Bible. It is not good for man to be alone. So God knew right away, or that he wired it into us, that we are meant to be connected with other people. We weren't meant to live alone, a solitary life. In all of... Since creation began... For most of human history, people have lived in the in community, little villages, little communities within a 20-mile radius where people did everything together. They cooked together, cleaned together, took care of kids together, hunted together, everything was together. And it kind of it, we are living in a time now in the West in North America where we are one of the first people groups ever to live such lonely, disconnected lives, where everybody is shut out, shut up in their little comfortable house with everything they could possibly need and feeling disconnected and safe, but completely sad. And I wanna look at, for a few minutes, blue zones, which are places that researchers have called where the happiest people on earth live, blue zones. So. Hi, baby. <laughs> so, in these places, in Loma Linda, California, Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, and Nicoya, Costa Rica, these are the blue zones that researchers are studying because people who live here have a better quantity of life, a better quality of life, and better health than anyone else in the world. They are living way longer than everyone else. And why? Can anyone take a guess? No McDonald's. <laughs> Maybe no McDonald's, but yeah, community, connection. These, the people that live in these places don't do anything alone. They do everything together. They have camaraderie, which is mutual trust and friendship among people who spend a lot of time together. 
And that is the key. They are spending a lot of time together. In, in um, Sardinia, Italy, everything, everywhere the people go, they have to pass through the town square. And so they're bumping against, up against people all day. They're with people all day and they, and they foster, because of the time they spend together, these close connections through these regular conversations all throughout the day, every day. So let's look at this, take this a little bit further, and look at the social network theory by Dunbar. He was a British psychologist who did some research about how many meaningful connections we can maintain at once. And he came up with a number 150 that we can keep at one time with our emotional bandwidth and our cognitive capacity, 150 friends, casual friends. And so within these friends, they deepen into layers, depending on how much face-to-face -face time we're spending with someone, it deepens into another layer of friendship. So we have in our church about 450 people. So a lot of us could say a lot of our casual friends maybe are at this church. And so within the 150, everyone knows each other's names and each other's skills. So for example, they might know that if you need help with makeup tips, you won't go to Daniel Bump. You'll, yeah. you'll go <laughs> to Gabby. <laughs> or if you need help with an art project, you don't go to JV. <laughs> or if you need help making kimchi, you go to Michelle. Let's go. perfected it. And so people go to each other for help. And then within, that, within the 150, we can have 50 regular friends. So still kind of close. People you're maybe seeing at a birthday party, um, at your birthday party, but not at a dinner party. And then within the 50, we have 15 good friends, people you turn to for sympathy, kind of like your village. Um, when people are, are in their young adult years, in their early 20s, it can go up to 30 people. So you have a higher capacity, and then it shrinks as you get older. And then within the 15, you can have five very close friends, your BFFs, only five, that you know and see fully, and they fully see and know you. These are people that drop by to your house unannounced, see you in your messy hair in your bathrobe, and it doesn't matter. And for me, it's people my kids can crawl all over, and I don't have to tell them to stop. It's awesome. <laughs> and then within the five, you have two very special friends, usually an intimate partner, or maybe your parents, and that's the social network theory. So where have things gone wrong? The problem is that we simultaneously crave and resist connection. Wow. We're pretty complicated, aren't we? Yep. So we resist and crave it. So why do we resist connection? Does anyone know why? Anxiety, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. We do it to feel safer. All of us here in this room, one of the inevitabilities of life is that we've been hurt by the people closest to us, and people not close to us, or strangers even. We've all been hurt by everybody around us. You get to know someone long enough, they're gonna hurt you at some point, and you're gonna hurt them. It's just one of the things about relationships. You're gonna bump into conflict. And so people make up the best, they are the greatest gifts, and they make up the most painful parts of life. Wow. The most difficult parts of being alive. So it's this great paradox that we want it so badly, but we're so afraid of it. And so what do we do? We armor up 
And you might do any of these three as you get ready in the morning. I've done all of them sometimes every day. I have to watch myself. We strive for perfection. Perfection is like holding up a 20-ton shield where no one can see you. We numb out. We spend hours binge-watching Netflix, watching pornography, or getting involved in addictions, process addictions, or chemical addictions, or we dress-rehearse tragedy. When I'm, when I'm cuddling Elise over there to sleep at night in the rocker, and I'm feeling this liquid joy every night as she's purring on my chest as I sing to her and I'm rocking her, and at the same time, I feel terror, this moment of terror about losing her. And it's like, it's so hard for us to soften into joy because we're scared of what the pain that might come when we lose it. And so we wanna beat it to the punch and dress rehearse a worst case scenario. It's very common that we do this when we feel the greatest moments in life, we also feel this great fear at the same time. And it's one way that we try to make ourselves feel safe. All of us are guilty of this, of trying to be self-sufficient, living completely independent lives. Who here hates appearing needy? Yeah. So some of you don't. <laughs> we have any liars. So yeah, we, I hate appearing needy. But when we don't admit our neediness with our friends, wow. we damage our relationships. Wow. I think of friends I've had that never need me, and soon enough, we're not friends. Yeah. It is exhausting to be with someone who always has it together. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. when you let someone help you, yeah. you come together in a shared purpose, and it bonds wow. you together. So you bond to the people that you help. That's so good. So nobody can bond to you if you don't let anyone help you. Ooh, that's good. So all of us are guilty. We all withhold love. We all push people away. We are all guilty of this. So what are the consequences of us self-protecting all the time? The consequence, when we resist connection, the consequence is loneliness. And so we are in a pandemic, but we, were, we are also in an epidemic of loneliness. Wow. Loneliness is such a, huge problem in the UK that they've appointed a minister of loneliness for the past two years now because it's caused such a huge amount of resources of money going into people who are struggling with loneliness with their health issues. Loneliness I would define as an internal experience of disconnection or rejection. It's also defined as the gap between the social connections you want and the ones that you don't have, and so you're just in this in-between. But I just want to say, having solitude is good when you want it, but if you have too much of it and you don't want it, then it turns into lone, chronic loneliness. Wow. So loneliness is something that researchers are studying right now, especially with the pandemic, and the CDC released some data in June of 2020 showing that three out of five people are feeling chronically lonely. And then of of that, they looked specifically at young adults and it showed that 63 of young adults are experiencing pandemic-related depression or anxiety. That is the majority of us in this room experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety right now as a result of the pandemic. It has exacerbated everyone's mental health issues. And so 
Loneliness is a big problem, but we can also go to the flip side where we, we have problems both ways. We can resist connection or we can crave connection to the point of idolatry. Idolatry meaning that we put something above the place of God. Wow. So contrary to chick flicks, who's a chick, fi- chick flick fan? Yeah, we have some here on this side. So, my husband loves chick flicks. 27 dresses. Go! 27 dresses, baby. Contrary to chick flicks, which tell you that if you find the one, all your problems in life will be solved and you'll be fulfilled forever, happily ever after. Uh-huh. It's a complete lie from the devil. Let's go. <laughs> because no human being was ever meant to fill all of your needs. That's right. And no human being has the ability to complete you. That's right. It is, a, it is a lie. Relationships will never be perfect enough, right. never be safe enough to make you feel 100% secure. That's good. And so um, I remember when I was dating Phil, we were just starting to talk about marriage. And she was, she was uh, listening to me talk about Phil with, um, I, I was completely in love. I thought he was the perfect man. And uh, I thought he would never. woman. <laughs> I thought he would never disappoint me. And then Pastor Chris says in her southern accent, well, Franny, Phil's going to disappoint you. I'm afraid he will at some point. He won't mean to, but he will. And I just looked at her with my rose-colored glasses, and I thought in my head, you're wrong. <laughs> he's never going to disappoint me. Like, he's, he's perfect. And then we got married. And then, and then when I was finally disappointed, I was gutted, and I went to lots and lots of counseling sessions. <laughs> so counseling is good. Let's go. I'm a counselor. <laughs> go to counseling. So, um, yeah, codependency. Codependency is when you become a user in a relationship. When you are going into a relationship wanting to take and actually becoming someone that causes harm to the other person in the, in the process of wanting to take something from them. And so... It's actually a parasitic relationship. And I know you guys can't see the slides on this side, but just turn around for this one. Yeah. Look at this cute little parasite, yep. which is eating the larva of its prey. Let it burn into your memory. This is what it looks like when you're in a parasitic, codependent relationship. When you go into a relationship thinking that someone is gonna complete you and finally you'll be happy, you are like a parasite to that person. Because that, you're, it's like you're dooming the relationship because you are setting such a high bar for them that they will never reach it and you're going to be so disappointed and they're going to be disappointed and you're heading for relationship failure. So I'm going to spill the tea on myself for a second. When I was in university with my first serious boyfriend, it was my first non-summer fling, I, I met this guy and I fell in love and on the outside everything looked great. We were both on fire for God. We were serving in all of our spare time. Um, He had just such clear gifts of leadership. We had so much fun together. But we both grew up in families where we didn't get the love and affirmation we needed. And we both came in thinking that the other person would complete us. 
and the relationship was a disaster. We eventually broke up. It took me like a year to get over him. And it was because we didn't come from a place where we were already satisfied in God and then coming to give something to that relationship. So remember, if you think of anything, I mean, if you forget everything else, parasites. (laughs) So when we follow our craving for connection, when you actually follow that trail, that longing in your heart, it'll actually lead you to God. Because God is the only one who can satisfy you in the way that you really need. When God made you, he made you for himself to satisfy you in a way that no human being ever could. He calls himself the bread of life, living water. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. In, in um, one uh, concordance, it talks about, you will never crave again. Wow. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You will not want for anything because you will be completely secure in all the ways that you thought a romantic relationship would fulfill you, which, is, which never will. God absolutely will. It's like you can wake up from the bad dream of your life of feeling like you are all alone in this world and nobody gets you and you never got the love that you needed. And God is saying now, wake up. I'm everything that you were looking for. Wow. Come on, it's good. It's like the scene from in Narnia when the, the witch loses its power over winter and everything starts to turn into spring. God's love touches everything in our life and makes everything new. It turns our winter into spring and it all becomes a new thing, a new beginning. And God just wants you to know today that he, when I talked earlier about how God has cravings and desires, the, the first desire he has in his heart is for you. Yes. He made you for his pleasure to, to live life so close to you. If we take it back to that, to Dunbar social network theory, God wants to go in through all the layers and come into your innermost circle wow. to be your most intimate, closest companion in life, walking with you closer than any human being in your life because no one else can do what God has, can do for you. Right. He satisfies your soul forever. Yeah. He satisfies your soul continually. It's like you can come into this banqueting table with a feast of everything that you've wanted and you can feast every single day and you will never be left wanting. The thing about religion is that many people don't believe in unconditional love. They think it doesn't exist. It's why religion exists. People think that they have to work their way to earn God's favor. And the the reason why Christianity is so different from all religions is because God freely gives his love with no conditions. It seems too good to be true, but it is true. It 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 seems unbelievable, but God gives his love to you with no strings attached. No matter how many bad things you do, and no matter how many good things you do, he loves you all the same. You don't need to earn anything, any day of your life. Just the fact that you exist, God treats you and looks at you with a measurable value. You are his most prized possession. 
And God wants to be so close to you. His longing is for you. He wants you. And so when we have this out of this world kind of love that we are living out of, we then can love people beyond their imperfection. When we have God's love, it strengthens us so that somebody's inadequate love is enough. It makes us so that it redeems all of our relationships. Even though I know Phil, he's not meant to meet all of my needs, but our relationship is full of God because we're both plugged into our source of life, God who satisfies us both, and and then we're both in a position to give. Let's talk about the cure for disconnection with people. The cure for disconnection with the people around us is our vulnerability. Vulnerability is the heart, the core, the crux of all meaningful contact in our lives, the way that we connect with other people. If you want to deepen your relationships, start at the point of vulnerability. What is vulnerability? It is risk, uncertainty, emotional exposure. I know that you look at this list and you're like, that's exactly what I don't want. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to avoid every day. And that is exactly where God needs us to go, with him and with other people. A point of vulnerability. Why? Because vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, empathy, creativity, all the best things in life begin at the point of vulnerability. We have to take a risk when we want all the best things in life, when we want joy and love. And so God himself modeled vulnerability to us. He created the whole universe. He holds all the power in the world. And yet he came to earth as a little helpless baby. And then he surrounded himself with friends who would cause him so much pain in his life. He surrounded himself with friends who betrayed him in his worst moment. He needed them, and and they abandoned him. God identifies with your pain. And God never avoided pain. And that's what we need to to remember. Even though God knew that his closest people would hurt him so much, he never avoided them. He gave them all of his heart. He trusted them, he had faith in them, he believed the best about them. He loved them beyond their imperfection, and it changed their lives. They became different people because of God's love. That's good. We can trade our lonely, disconnected lives with brief bursts of connectedness for the opposite. We were meant to live lives of intimately intimate connections all every day and to have brief periods of feeling alone that's what we were wired to live that's the lifestyle that god wants us in and so i want to talk about some practical things about friendships because if you've been pushing people away for a long time you've been mean to your friends you talk behind their back you just naturally push people away This is gonna be really hard work for you. And we all do this to some degree. So I wanna talk about the practicalities, how to make yourself more vulnerable and make some friends. So here we go. So 
First of all, if you want to turn an acquaintance into a friend, you need to clock 200 hours. Wow. 200 hours. And also, I want you to think about applying this to God. God might be an acquaintance to you right now. Wow. So you start putting in the, putting in the time That's to good. bring him in, Come into on. those layers, one by one, into your innermost circle. You're going to have to do a lot of time. Yeah, good. So back to friends. Pull people in at every turn. When you are going out grocery shopping, take someone with you. When you're doing exercise, I do this. I invite people to exercise with me virtually. And meals, invite people over to eat or cook with you to do everything together. Yeah. Ask for help. Sometimes you have to ask for help early because people are busy. So ask for help early, even though you hate it. This is gonna help deepen your friendships. Yeah. Ask deep questions. Don't just talk about how your dog's doing or the weather. Talk about what's making you anxious lately. What are you sad about? What, what are you longing for? What brings you joy? Come on. Listen. In our culture, we all suck at listening. Yeah. Just keep, just keep your mind focused on what the person's saying before coming up with a response. Tell people why you're grateful for them all the time. Share the real stuff. Talk about Jesus. Do fun things together. I also want to talk about how we self-sabotage this, because you might do this even without thinking. How do we self-sabotage? How do we ruin our friendships? It's... So when you are the one that's waiting for someone to call you all the time, oh, wow. you are sabotaging your friendships. You don't initiate. You're easily offended. You have a lot of opinions about your friends' lives. You assume they're mad. You talk negatively about them. You don't share what you're going through, your past hurts. You hold on to your friends' mistakes. You're convinced nobody wants to be your friend. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to pay someone to be your friend. And what I mean is, go see a therapist. You're the common denominator that all your friendships go wrong and nobody wants to be your friend then maybe you're the common denominator. Oh, and the man. thing is, the truth hurts until it liberates your life. You can get the help wow. you need, and then you can become the kind of friend that you want and that you're wanting from other people. This is all doable. The connection we want is within our reach. And so just to sum up for today, we need connection. We're wired for it, but we resist it, or we crave it to the point where our cravings go wrong. Satisfy your craving for connection in God. Yeah. Start doing, start making space for God in your life. Start doing those 200 hours with God. Bring him in, yeah. into your life. And also, out of that, out of your soul being satisfied in God, pull people into your life. Draw them close at every point, every turn, and everything you do in your life. And that's gonna cure the disconnection and loneliness in your life and you are gonna be living the, the kind of life that God modeled, one of vulnerability, but which changed the world. Lord, I thank you, God, that we are not alone. You are with us. You are with us, you are with us. You are always there to the very end of the age, wanting to be so close to us. And we just, as a, as a people, as a group, as a young adults, we just say, come, Lord. We want you. We want you in our innermost 
circle as our most intimate friend. There's no one like you, Lord. Yes, Lord. There's no one who loves us like you. That's right. There's no one who satisfies our soul like you. And we want you to. I pray for you to help us adjust our lives so that you have the primary place in our hearts, so that we have no idols, so that we are generous and we are vulnerable with you and all the people that you've put in, that you've blessed us with, and maybe we've been pushing away. I pray for courage to rise up, to be vulnerable, to make these huge shifts in our lives so that we can drop, pull people in and live as a village in a tight-knit community the way that we were meant to live and together to change the world. Lord, I just bless everyone today. Help us to make these hard adjustments. Help us to do what we're afraid of. Yes, Lord. Help us to open up our lives to people. Yay. Because we trust you, Lord. And we want to model our lives after you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We believe that we weren't meant to do life alone. So feel free to reach out to us by following and DMing us at Vivi Young Adults.